Merry Christmas. <laughs> Get your Bibles and open to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We begin, it's with great joy that we begin our season of Advent and start with this first Christmas sermon as we move toward uh, that blessed day and our rejoicing and celebrating of this wonderful time. Isaiah chapter 9, I think your notes say 2 through 7, but let's, let's start reading in verse 1. This is the Word of God. It is without error. It is infallible. We trust and believe it. May God press truth into our hearts this morning. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice in you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for our blessed time to gather together and to sing your praises. Lord, you are a God who deserves every voice, every tongue to Speak of your greatness and goodness. We pray that you have been blessed this morning by our words and our proclamations. And now as we open your holy scriptures and we look back to a time of prophecy, a time of great darkness, may you teach us this morning. May we see and know and believe in the light of the world, your blessed Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would shine your light by the power of your Spirit upon our passage today. Open our ears to hear and know the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is Christmas. I'm sure it's Christmas at your house and it's Christmas at my house. We're pulling out the decorations and I'm having to crawl up into the attic and Linda's crawling up in the attic and bringing things down and 
It gets messy before it gets better, doesn't it? We bring all that stuff down, and they're like, where's it going to go? And it's all going to go up. And there's a lot of hope and a lot of joy and a lot of celebration as we move through this, this wonderful season. And I think back of, of the times when I was a young man, and, and for children today, there's a lot of hope for what we're going to be getting for Christmas. A lot of lists are made. I can remember I actually did get a Red Ryder BB gun one year. And no, I did not shoot my eye out. One of the most fantastic presents I ever received, I can hardly remember because I was so young, but I have a faint memory, and my mother explains it to me, that as I was opening presents under the tree in, in, um, in this very rural town we used to live in, in Cur- not Kerrville, but uh, in Texas, and um, as I'm going through and opening things, there's, there's a... A rope that's under the tree with a little bell or something on it. She had decorated this little rope under the tree. And so I get the rope, and then she's like, you know, and my dad is like, you know, you got to pull on it, right? And so I pull the rope, and the rope goes from the tree out to the back door. And I follow this rope out the back door. It's attached to a pony, <laughs> a live horse. How many children, how many kids want a horse for Christmas, okay? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get you one. You've got to move. Sorry. So, so there's a lot of hope, children hoping for wonderful things. Most of these hopes today are hopes of, that are brought to us in times of, of goodness, in times of sweetness. But there are so, also are hopes that come to us in times of darkness, in times of challenge, in times of hurt, their hopes for healing, their hopes for, for a home, hopes for a child, there's hopes for reconciliation, there's hopes for liberty, for freedom. These are hopes that we have. In the dark spiritual days, this dark spiritual abyss of Isaiah's time, where the people had forsaken God, and it plunged into the depths of sin and idolatry. A glimpse of divine revelation pierced through the gloom. Isaiah 9 unveils a, a messianic prophecy, a proclamation of a future ruler, a radiant light who would bring justice, righteousness, and unending joy to God's people. Charles Spurgeon has said this about this section. He says, No prophecy so brightly shines as this, For even in the midst of misery, this prophecy offered a resplendent light. Martin Luther said this, Even in the midst of affliction, this prophecy is a light that shines in a dark place. Today, where we stand, we celebrate the fulfillment of this ancient hope, the birth of Jesus Christ, the promised child, our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, this morning, let's dive into Isaiah 9, looking at this passage to uncover the profound reality of this hope in Christ, our Savior. And we're going to see it developed in five elements, a deep darkness, the dawn of light, the delight of the nation, a divine son, and his dominion eternal. So let's get started. Number one, a deep darkness. Verse two says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. If we back up to 
chapter 8, verse 22, we see this darkness, this judgment that is because of Israel's sin. It says this, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into deep darkness. This is a profound uh, darkness, a, a, a deep darkness. It's not just dark. It's really dark. It's a deep darkness, impenetrable, full of anguish and distress and gloom, the prophet says. Judgment, you see, was pronounced by God upon Israel. But isn't it true of Scripture that often after judgment comes light? It's the case here that in Scripture that right after this judgment and deep darkness and despair come these words, but, just like in Ephesians 2, but God, verse 9-1 says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, there's times before, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. You see, Isaiah wants us to see, formerly there was gloom, but in the end, there will be glory. We move. He moves. He promises that these people will move from gloom to glory. 2 Kings 15, 29 tells of what Isaiah is probably speaking about at this time of this great gloom. It says, In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried the people captive to Assyria. I can't read that without thinking, thinking, oh, that, those are things that happened thousands of years ago. That couldn't happen today, could it? That a pagan people could come into your home and steal your children and carry them off into captivity? That couldn't possibly happen today in a civilized society where we live. But no, the people that live in Israel even now are experiencing the gloom and the darkness that was experienced even then. A horrible, deep, dark, frightening time. This was a time of great gloom, great darkness, of incredible despair. That was, Isaiah says, the former time. But now comes the latter time for Naphtali and Zebulun. In the latter time, glory will come to this area, Isaiah says. And Isaiah, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, refers to this area as Galilee of the nations. Galilee of the nations. And here, why, why is he referred to it this way? Because he sees blessing come for Israel that extends beyond her ethnic boundaries. Glory is coming for Israel and the nations. Glory is going to be expanded, extended. The borders will extend to cover the whole globe. This is how Matthew sees this prophecy fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 4, 12 through 17, Jesus is speaking. Uh, well, Matthew is speaking and in, in, in quotes Jesus. He says, it says, now when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Notice where he is. He's in Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. 
in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death. Of them, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew looks and sees specifically and quotes from Isaiah, seeing that this prophecy has been fulfilled. Peter helps us think about these prophecies from the Old Testament in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. He says this, Concerning this salvation, concerning this gospel, the salvation that we've received, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving, not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Peter says that, that Isaiah here, as he's prophesying, longs to know all the incredible details of what he's saying, but he understood that I'm not topic, talking for me right now. I'm talking for the future, for those who would come to know this Messiah. Isaiah is prophesying at this time of great darkness, and he's looking like the other prophets, for the revelation of or the fulfillment of this prophecy. He doesn't know the exact particulars, the exact details, but he does know some things. He knows this, there will come a son. There will come a son. And this son will be a gift of light that will dispel all the darkness. He will be a Messiah king. Number two, the dawn of light. Isaiah says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I remember camping out one time. Me and a friend of mine decided there was a big giant field and a kind of a forest behind our house, many, many acres where I used to live. We decided, let's, let's go camping. In fact, let's build our own teepee. And so we went and we cut down all these big, big, uh, long limbs and we got a, you know, a couple of sheets. You come in and you ask mom, mom, can we have this sheet? What are you going to use it for? We're going to build a teepee. Oh, I guess so. So we go out and we, we go out into the, into the woods and we, we construct our poles and we wrap it with the big sheet and we get all our stuff and we get ready and we're going to camp out. It's going to be so exciting to camp out, out in the woods. And we go to sleep. And boy, is night really long. <laughs> you, you, you barely drift off, right? And then there's a little cricket out there that keeps you awake. And then there's some rustling in the leaves over there. And then a raccoon or probably a possum or something. And you wake up and you think, it's got to be morning, isn't it? It's got to be morning. And you look and you get your flashlight and you turn on and you're like, it's 1045. <laughs> oh, and you just wait and you, and you wake up and you wake up and you pray. You pray for the dawn. You can't wait for the light. 
You can't wait for the light. And this is where Israel, this is where Isaiah is prophesying. He is saying this deep darkness, it extends, it goes on and on. We even sang of this 400 years of silence. When will the light come? When will the sun dawn? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them, living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. John 3, 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. John 8, 12, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John Piper says of this section, the light of God's glory and grace in Jesus Christ is the decisive revelation. The light of God's glory and the grace and grace in Jesus Christ is the decisive revelation. Brothers and sisters, this prophecy is fulfilled. This prophecy is fulfilled. It is, it is a done deal. Mission accomplished. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus, the divine son, has come and his light is shining now all over the face of the earth. This is fulfilled prophecy. And we stand now, we, we, we're so used to living in the post-light era that we, we don't even understand even the, the blessings of Western civilization are ours because the light has come. I remember reading a, a gentleman who was talking about literacy. And I, I, I'm, I have a lot of interest in that because I teach children to read. That's what I do for a living. And I remember him saying that, that wherever the gospel goes forth and people become saved, literacy flourishes. Why? Because we are a people of the book. Because Jesus is the word. And to understand the living word, you read his written word. And so as the gospel goes forth and people are converted in different dark areas of the world, literacy becomes the number one thing that happens. And as darkness prevails in a society, as people turn their back on Christianity, illiteracy increases. Do you realize that California is almost dead last of the 50 states in the nation in literacy. There have been many reports about this that come out. I kind of, I don't know, I have a perverse joy in it when I hear people being frustrated that Alabama reads a lot better than California. <laughs> not, any, not, any, not any homeschoolers, right? You guys, we can read, we can outread all these guys. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge. That's one aspect of the light of the world coming. As Jesus has come and, and given us light, that light extends into other kinds of areas, and even, even those who are pagans are blessed because of the light of the world. But we need to remember this prophecy is fulfilled. It is a done deal. It brings us to the delight of the nations. Look at verses 3 through 5 back in our passage of Isaiah 9. You have multiplied the nation... You have increased its joy. 
They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of, uh, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That's one of my favorite Christmas hymns that we sing usually every year. Uh, every, that's a joke. Okay, so <laughs> everybody's looking like, wait, what? What is that? To, Joy to the world. The 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 garment has been rolled in blood. It will be burned for fire. I've got to be really serious. This section is a. I, I think we tend to skip over this section. We read the first part, which is up here on our banners, and then we know for us, for unto us a son is born, a child is given. We know that section, but this middle section is quite interesting. Here's what he says. First he says, look, you have multiplied the nation. You have multiplied the nation. This comes as we think about the promise to Abraham. Genesis 15, 5, the Lord brought, uh, brought Abraham outside, and he says, look toward the heavens and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. In Genesis um, 17, 5, says this, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but, you shall, uh, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. This prophecy we see being fulfilled as well. The, the people of Israel will become a multitude of nations. Jesus says it this way in John 10, 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be two flocks. No, that's not what, that's not what the Lord says. I, I, have, I, have another, I have this fold, and I have another fold, and I'm going to bring them because they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. One flock and one shepherd. Shepherd. He will increase. He will multiply the nations. Secondly, he says here also, you have increased its joy. You have increased its joy, Isaiah says, they rejoice before you. And how do they rejoice? He says really in two ways. Here's how, uh, when, when, they, when they see this, this, this hope coming, when they see this light coming, they'll rejoice like this. They'll rejoice as with joy at the harvest. At joy at the harvest. We were at this uh, hunger, um, children, what's it called? I forgot. <laughs> Children's hunger fund yesterday. And, then, and, and it, was a, it was an experiential uh, activity that we went through, and we walked through different, different areas that talked about different uh, nations and the, and the hunger that was there. And, and we were in one epi uh, episode, room, scene, uh, that was, that was uh, supposed to be in Haiti. And my wife was reminded, we were in, in Carpatian, Haiti, many, many years ago. We took some kids there on a mission trip. And my wife was telling Hayden about walking down the street in Haiti and seeing a very elderly man and, and meeting him and talking to him and, and, and asking, how are you doing? How are you doing? And he said, he said I'm good. I'm great. I ate today. He was, so, he was so happy. He was so full of joy because he ate today. You will rejoice, Isaiah says, as with joy at the harvest. Because we were starving, and now we have food. We were starving, and now we have food. And what is that food? 
but the true bread of life. He also says they'll rejoice in this way, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. When they divide the spoil, that means, that means the enemy has been, has been overcome. The enemy has been defeated. When the enemy is defeated, the, the guys who don't defeat the enemy don't get to divide the spoil. The conquerors divide the spoil. And so he says, we've defeated the enemy, and now we're saying, that's a pretty nice sword. That's a pretty nice spear. I like this shield, and I'll take those pearls, and you can have that brooch. <laughs> Whatever, right? That rope. They're going to be glad. And isn't our enemy defeated? Our enemy has been defeated, and we divide the spoil. This is the gladness here of plenty. It's the gladness of victory. Why this gladness, then? Why this joy? Isaiah says, here's the reason. For, in verse 4, for because the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. What is he saying here? He's saying the oppressor, the enemy, the slave master has been defeated. God has overcome our greatest enemy. And Isaiah tells us that he's done it like on the day of Midian. It's interesting, this, this, this yoke, this yoke that's, 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 that's put on a, a, a beast of burden or even on a slave. You may have seen... Um, at the, uh, the arch of, uh, I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> totally blocking, but it's okay. In the uh, arch of triumph or whatever, they have some scenes of this with the, with the slaves being brought. And they're, they are, they're on these yokes. They're in these yokes. Uh, a slave with a yoke like that's for a beast of burden is being chained together. The staff that goes onto his shoulder that gets smacked. The rod of his oppressor. And he says, and profoundly, he says, you've broken this. You've broken this. You can, you can see the sense of, of this one who comes, who takes this rod, who takes the rod and, and snatches it from the, the slave master and snaps it over his knee. It's been broken. And how is it broken? It's broken as on the day of Midian. What happened there? Who remembers from the Old Testament? There's a scene in Judges chapter 6 where someone faces the Midianites. Listen to the beginning of that section. In Judges chapter 6, it says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember the cycle in the Judges. They do what's evil, and then God gives them over, and then they cry out for a judge, and God delivers them, then they do what was evil. And so again, in chapter 6, verse 1, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them up into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. I mean, they, they were so oppressed. They were hiding in caves. They were hiding in dens and holes in the ground, trying to get away from these oppressive peoples who overran their borders and would come in and steal their, their livestock and, and, and murder and pillage. And what happens? He raises up a judge named Gideon. And Gideon uh, you need to just go back and read the story for yourself. But Gideon then uh, decides to, to listen to the Lord and raise up an army to fight against Midian, the Midianites. And they, they had this massive outpouring of people to come and join this army. At the beginning of the story, there's 20,000 men. Okay, 20,000 against the unnumbered uh, number of Midianites. Uh, Judges 7, 12 says that they were like locusts in abundance. You can't number them. They're everywhere. They're buzzing. 
And so Gideon shows up with 20,000, and what does God say? That's a good start. Let's get some more. We need more. Are you kidding me? They're like locusts. We need more than 20,000. Isn't that what God tells Gideon? Get more people. No, he says, that's too many. I, I, you can imagine Gideon standing there. <laughs> what, 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 it's too many? <laughs> it's too, yeah, it's too many. And, and God has Gideon whittle down that army until he gets it down to 300. You've probably seen that movie about this, the 300. It's, it's quite interesting. That's, that's another joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. Don't, and I'm not, I'm not saying you should go see that movie. Uh, and I have some funny things in my head right now, but I'm not going to say them. Uh, so he whittles it down to 300. And then they surround them. And he has this bizarre thing where they get these pots with torches and horns. And listen what happens. Judges 7, 20 to 22, it says, Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the chars. They held in their left hand the torches, and their right hands the trumpet to blow. And they cried out, these 300 soldiers, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When, the, when they blew the 300 trump- trumpets, the, Lord's, uh, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade, the Midianites against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Meloha by Tabath. God defeated the Midianites in such a way that only he could have brought this miraculous salvation. Do you see that? And that's what God even says in that account. He, he says, you've, you're too many because if you defeat, de- defeat the Midianites with this many people, you're going to say, we did this in our great might, in our great power. And so he gets it down to where it has to be a miraculous deliverance, a, ma- a miraculous deliverance by God through light. In the middle of the darkness, against their great oppressor, against this enemy that cannot be overthrown, against their slave masters, the jars are broken and light shines and they shout for the sword of the Lord and for Gideon and these, their enemy turns upon itself and flees. This is what he has done for us, brothers and sisters, for Israel. We were under a yoke. We had the staff on our back. We were enslaved to our sin and we were impress, oppressed by our enemy And we were completely unable to set ourselves free. Complete despair, complete darkness, complete inability. And God, through a miracle of light, confounded and defeated our enemy and sends him running to the hills. Praise God. Praise God. Verse 5. Here's the part of that hymn that I was telling you about, the Christmas carol. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isaiah is saying, look, the enemies of God will be so defeated that they will be no more. And the warrior's boots that are left behind and the garments that have been stained with the blood of battle will be used to heat ourselves in their fire. That which was meant for evil will now be turned to good. That's what this passage is saying. That which was meant for evil 
will now be turned for good. Here's how the New Testament says it. Romans 8, 35, 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Do you hear the warrior's boot in there? Do you hear the enemy's persecution against us? The enemy's sword drawing blood? The Scripture says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. You see, God gets a great victory for His people through Christ. And how does He do that? He does it through a divine son, a divine son. Look at Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah has told us in this prophecy that there will be a grand, incredible, miraculous movement from gloom to glory, from darkness to light, from defeat to victory, from weeping to joy, from slavery to liberty. And how will this be achieved? It will be achieved by a divine son. Athanasius says, He became what we are, that we might, that he might make us what he is. Or you could say it this way, He became human, that we might become sons. Luke 2 says it this way. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The highest God becomes a humble baby, a divine son. And that is what we celebrate this Christmas, right? And then the passage then tells us from Isaiah, and this son will govern. He will rule. The government will be upon his shoulders. Why? Why is the government going to be upon this baby's shoulders? Because he alone can bear it. He alone can carry this government. He alone has the character to be the ruler that we need. He will be called, and here's the character that he has, the character of this child. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Why? Because he is wise. He is wise. He will be called Mighty God. 
because he is strong. He is all-powerful. He will be called Everlasting Father. Why? Because he is caring. He will be called Prince of Peace because he himself produces peace or more profoundly, shalom. Let's take these one at a time. Number one, wonderful counselor. He is wise. Isaiah 28, 29 says this, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. This title, wonderful counselor, encapsulates that idea. He's wonderful in his counsel. All his counsel is wonderful. He's not like that friend who you go to and you listen to and say, nope, not going to listen to that. <laughs> That's not a good counselor, okay? All of his counsel is wonderful. All of his counsel is right. All of his counsel is wise. Ephesians 1.11 says this, In him we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What does this mean? It means that, it means that this, this divine son doesn't have to go asking opinions of others to think of what, what should I do here? What should I do here? He doesn't need to inquire or inquest of others for his wisdom or for his counsel. Romans 11, 33, 36, Paul says it this way, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, the Lord God says. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. This divine son is a wonderful counselor. Secondly, he is mighty God. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He is infinite in his omnipotence. This baby who is to come is God. He is God. John 1, 1 through 18 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was in the world, verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 9. The true light, which is light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of, uh, as of the only Father, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Hebrews 1, 2, and 3, But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, this Son, this divine Son, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Colossians 2.9, it said this way, For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Every bit of divine authority, of divine power, of divine wisdom, all of 
the, the godness of, of God exists in the form, in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. And then Isaiah says this as well, he is everlasting father. This is the most uh, surprising description of the divine son. How can the son be a father? Isaiah 53.10 gives us uh, some, some, some insight into this. In that servant song, it says, Yet he has the will, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of, of Yahweh to crush the Lord, Jesus. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Do you notice what he says here in the middle? He says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. A father has children, and by Christ's sacrificial offering, he has offspring that are the children of God. So in a sense, Jesus also is father by making offspring for the heavenly father, God. Jesus says this of himself in John 14. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. What are orphans? Orphans are children without fathers, right? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Because I have life in me, I will give you life. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus cares for us as a Father. God the Father is the ultimate Father in the primal sense but in one sense, Jesus also is father-like in that he sires children through his sacrificial offering and he doesn't leave us parentless. He cares for us as a loving father would. Finally, this character, he is called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Listen to what Isaiah eleven six 6-9 talks about as it describes peace that comes from this prince. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb... And the leopard shall lay down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing cobra, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." This speaks to just the peace that comes at every level. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Savior himself said this in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What we are receiving from Christ in our salvation is true and abiding peace, deep peace. Right now, as these wars are fought, they talk of a ceasefire. Can we negotiate a ceasefire? That's not what we're talking about here. 
We're not negotiating a, a ceasefire with God where I'm going to take my guns and put them away for a moment, but get ready because I'm getting ready to blast you soon. Instead, no, because of what God has done by taking the wrath of the Father upon himself, he has given us peace with God, true peace with God, true unity with him, reconciliation to God. This divine son we've seen is infinitely wise, infinitely strong, infinitely caring. Infinitely, he brings peace. And finally, verse 9-7, we see our final point. His dominion is eternal. His dominion is eternal, is eternal. Isaiah 9-7 says this, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We see first, look, uh, there will be no end. There will be no end to his government, this government that this divine son rules over. There will be no end. Its increase will not be stopped. Uh, there will be no pockets of rebellion. There are going to be no, no places where, where his government doesn't extend over the new heavens and the new earth. Secondly, we see through this as well that it's, it's a fulfillment of David's throne. Because the Lord loves David, he has made a promise to him, and this throne will be extended uh, to, th- to, through David and through David's son. Second Chronicles 21.7 says this, Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David, because of the covenant that he made with David. And since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Who is that righteous, righteous branch? And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. The best thing is that everyone shares in the love that God has for David. This love that he has for David and this promise that he makes to David and he extends to David's son comes to us as well. And here's how Isaiah says it in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Are you thirsty? Are you parched? Are you not satisfied? Are you going from water hole to water hole to water hole? The Old Testament prophet says it's like you're, you're digging a, a ditch in the dry, cracked earth and you're trying to suck water from broken cisterns. Friend, that's what you're doing if you're trying to find water in other places. Satisfaction from other things. Those things can't ever satisfy. Isaiah says to us, to you, he says, Come, are you thirsty? Come, come, come to the waters. He then says, and he who has no money, are you broke? You're penniless. You don't have the ability to buy your own food, to eat what really satisfies, to, to have sustenance for yourself. He says, come, buy and eat. Graciously, you will be able to buy for free. <laughs> come, he says, buy wine and milk without price, without money and without price. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying the salvation of the Lord is is free. It's a free gift. 
You don't have to buy it. And besides that, you don't have the money to buy it anyway. You're broke. You have nothing in your bank account of righteousness. Zero, zilch, nothing, nada. You're overdrawn. (laughs) Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? Put that on your refrigerator. (laughs) Why do I spend money for that which is not bread? Why do I spend my money on that which can't satisfy? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Why are you working so hard for the things that don't truly satisfy? The prophet says, listen, diligent to me, diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. He's saying, listen, listen to me. Hear that your soul may live. You're going to die without these two things, water and food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. The love of God for his servant David and the covenant that he makes with David is for you as well. We are part of that covenant and we too can come and drink and eat and live and thrive in this government of the divine son. Isaiah 9, 7 again, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it. This government will will never end. It will continue and it will be upheld. Why will it never end? Because God himself is upholding this government. We see governments come and go. Look at our own government. I mean, you know, the American experiment, is is it almost over? I don't know. I don't want to, I'm thinking a lot of things right now that I want to say, but I'm not going to say them. <laughs> Why? Why do governments come and go? Because they're not being upheld by God. This government will be upheld. It's established by God, and He is the one who will uphold it. And how will He do it? He will do it with justice and righteousness. And it will last forever. He says, from that time on and forever forever. And then he ends it with this. How do you know all these things are going to happen? Because God says, I'm zealous. The zeal of the Lord will do it. The zeal of the Lord. The word zeal could also be translated jealousy. God looks, he sees a people for himself, He sees a bride for his blessed son. God doesn't say, let let me see, let me me try something. Let me try something. I think someone said it a few weeks ago (laughs) that I'm always saying, God doesn't try anything. Let me try it. Let's see if this works. Jesus isn't on the cross with his fingers crossed saying, boy, I hope this works. God desires to get for his blessed son a bride. And he says to his son, Kevin's paraphrase, Son, 
go get her. And Jesus comes in a marvelous way, not on a white horse, <laughs> but born as a baby in humility, in a manger from a virgin with an adopted dad, raised, lives, lives incredibly different than any other, any other baby, any other boy growing who grows in wisdom and stature. He grows in wisdom and stature, but he grows in wisdom and stature that is sinless. Every time your mother told you to make up your bed and you said no or you didn't, he did. Whenever Mary said, take out the trash, he said, yes, ma'am, and he did it. Whenever he was tempted to lie or to embellish or he didn't, he kept the law. He kept it perfectly, sinlessly. He lived for us. He died for us. He was raised for us. And he's coming again for us. This baby born in a manger who grew to be a man who is our Savior, the divine Son, Jesus Christ. Revelation 15 says this, 11:15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever. He will reign forever. Do you need hope this season? Do you need hope this season? I know that you do. And I know of some specific people in this congregation who need some real hope this season. The amazing thing is that the hope of the ages has come. As I emphasized earlier in this sermon, this prophecy is fulfilled. If you need hope in, the, in this season, all you need to do is to look back to the prophecy of Isaiah as Isaiah looks forward to the coming of Christ. We look back and see the mission has been accomplished and hope, the hope of the ages has come in the form of this humble baby. Now the challenge is for you to put your faith, to put your hope, to put your trust in that child, the divine son of Isaiah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this season that has been set aside for us to, to reflect on your first coming. What a marvelous thing, and we pray even in, in my own frailty today to, to, to emphasize and to bring forth the truth of the gospel and the, the reality of this fulfilled prophecy. Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, fill in the gaps. Lord, help us to see the beauty of Christ. Help us to see the glory of this child who was born to live and to die, to be raised, to be ascended, and to come again to get us someday. And so now as we are a people who dwell in the, after the first advent, we look forward to your second advent and we wait with great anticipation. And we say this Christmas, Lord, come quickly. We look forward to seeing you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.